High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. To another summer edition of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the pool party's at my place this evening. And guess what? It's Friday, and Fridays are for fun. And because it's the summer, and you worked so hard this Monday on your babysitting assignment, I'm going to let you come to my pool party later. Yes, yes, yes. I've extended the invite to you because, again, you've been doing so well, you've been working that babysitting job, and you're saving up, you're earning your keep, you're going to save up for college or a car or whatever your heart's desire is. I just want you to learn the value of a dollar or whatever your currency happens to be in your country because that's important. Don't you want to know what it's like to be an adult? Don't you want to know what it's like to work really, really, really hard for your money and have no free time to spend it? That's the pleasure of adulthood. While you learn this lesson, though, I'm going to give you some fun Fridays, and today is no exception. But before any of that, just a reminder, on your babysitting assignment last Friday, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I know it's work. But it's also fun. We talked adventures in babysitting. And our guest, of course, because it was part of the Hudson Five, was Kate Hudson. She loved the movie. I loved the movie. Joey, Joey Lewandowski, the godfather himself, was our other guest. He liked the movie, but he helped us point out some problematic things in the film. Anyway, though, it's a fun episode, and you want to check that out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, really, wherever you're listening to us right now, and wherever you're listening to us right now, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. It helps the show so much, and it does nothing negative to you. Help me, help you, help everyone. Let's have a fun summer together. Another way you can help High School Slumber Party is by leaving a review or perhaps a rating, a five-star rating if applicable. 
and of course telling a friend about all the wonderful and great things that happen on high school slumber party on a bi-weekly basis twice a week now remember fridays are for fun mondays are for babysitting this summer because you gotta work but again it's friday we don't gotta talk too much about that of course you could also listen to this podcast as well as so many other great pop culture podcasts on cageclub.me that's cageclub.me and while you're there I mean it. Check out our archive. We have like 130 episodes now. We've covered some of the classics. We've covered some really obscure films. We've had a lot of fun doing it. I feel like I've grown as a podcaster, but those early ones are fun too. Follow the High School Slumber Party journey. Follow this project we're doing. By the end of it, you and I will have watched so many high school films. We'll all be experts. We can all write a book. Woo! Now today, though, we have a film... I have to warn you, it's a fun film, but it's not the most fun film because to some people it's gruesome, to some people it's violent, to some people, like some people I know, the foodie filmsman Kyle Reinfried, he doesn't like to read, but it's not difficult reading, it's not hard reading. It's a subtitle movie because it's from Japan and it's Battle Royale. Some people consider it the greatest high school film of all time. Some people consider it in the top ten. Some people say it's not a high school film at all. We're going to talk about all that today and its glory, with a first-time guest, but I've worked with him before on other podcasts on this network, and he's been on almost every podcast on this network, in fact, and that's Dan Colon. Oh, and a couple warnings about this episode. First, I didn't include any clips because, well, according to recent metric data, I do not have a wide audience of Japanese speakers, and considering the film is in Japanese, I thought clips would just be a little odd and distracting. Makes sense. And the other thing, in the middle of this podcast, there was a huge rainstorm, like it flooded things and stuff. I tried to eliminate the sound of it as much as possible, but at one point it's just unavoidable. Pretend you're in the rainforest, or pretend you're in the rainforest cafe. Who remembers the rainforest cafe? I don't know if those are still around, but like, remember like, safari party of four, safari party of four. Then a gorilla would beat its chest. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. If you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you laughed a little bit. You chuckled a bit. Admit it. Anyway, apologies for the rainstorm. If you want to complain about it, remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade anyway, even in the summer for some reason. So you want to shoot me a line, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or at my email at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. So without further ado, pack your favorite swimsuit, tell your mother you're going over Brian's, because we're about to get our pool party on. I leave you with something from the score of Battle Royale, and they use a lot of classical music and stuff like that, so this is Giuseppe Verdi. So I'm going to go grab a daiquiri. See you by the pool.
So it's rare these days we have a first-time guest on High School Slumber Party. But Dan, you don't feel like a first-time guest to me because I feel like I've guested on a bunch of other shows, other people's shows with you. But I'm happy to have you on here. How we introduce ourselves on High School Slumber Party is by saying our name, our uh, high school, our high school team name, and whatever else we really want to say, whether it be graduating class or whatever. It's up to you. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on, Brian, first of all. So my name is Dan Cologne. Uh, I've been a frequent guest on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Um, I'm friends with uh, Joey and Mike. So that's how I came to be part of this. So high school, I uh, attended uh, Timber Creek Regional High School, class of 2005, go Chargers. My time there was spent largely in uh, the drama program, which uh, sort of technically didn't exist, but we, uh, we made it work. They didn't have money in the budget to support a drama program. Ooh, so nice. we just kind of had to, yeah, we, well, it was a brand new school. Oh, that's interesting. The very first day of high school, period, you know, I entered as a freshman, but the school officially opened on September 12th, 2001. So it was like the day after 9-11, the school wow. had been like, was but was behind schedule. Uh, so that's why it was such a delayed start. But um, yeah, so I... Uh, was the first class to graduate uh, having served four years in that school, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. That's a definitely a unique experience. Yeah, we had uh, students uh, from other neighboring high schools, you know, like if they were in their sophomore or junior year, but sort of lived within what had been the newly established, you know, perimeter for, you know, Timber Creek High School. Now they attended Timber Creek. So we had uh, a mix of people from a couple different areas. But um, yeah, it was an interesting high school experience for sure. No senior class that first year. Oh, wow. No seniors for freshmen? <laughs> no seniors. We didn't have an auditorium. That was still being built. So uh, as I said, I was in uh, our drama program. And um, our first play that we ever did was set up on a, a homemade, well, not homemade, but you know, like a makeshift stage in our cafeteria. Oh, wow. And we did like a dinner theater to make use of the cafeteria facility as well. <laughs> Yeah, it was real uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of stuff at the time. I mean, that does sound kind of cool. Um, I wasn't in the drama program, but I did improv in high school, and we did one show in the cafeteria, like dinner theater, and we actually had a really good time at it. So, I mean, th there are advantages. It's not your classic theater experience, but it, it's still kind of cool. No, but it was like my first real theater experience. I mean, I had I did a play when I was, I think, oh, what grade was I? Maybe second or third third grade, probably. But like I hadn't really done a, like any other kind of performing. So, you know, in my freshman year, I thought, you know what, maybe this is for me. So I went out for it. And that was sort of my introduction to, you know, high school theater. Super cool to hear. I got to say, though, if that school just started in um, 2001 and the most creative name you guys could think of was the Chargers, like especially a school with timber in it. I don't know. It should be like a wolf or like yeah. a, a, so a, I a remember, woodsman. I <laughs> yeah, I remember when um, uh, when I was in middle school and they sort of knew who was going to be attending that school. We all kind of participated in these surveys that would go around suggesting school colors, mascots. And I don't ever remember seeing chargers on any of those like sheets that we like picked from. But I mean, that's what we went with. And, uh, and what's what's strange is that, like, I know where Timber Creek is. Timber, I mean, Timber Creek is a real creek in, in my neck of the woods. And it's not really that close to the high school. There are a couple neighboring towns where I feel like that name would have been more appropriate. 
But um, I guess, you know, those were older, more established schools already had their names. I don't know why we went with Timber Creek. It's still kind of a mystery to me. But yeah, so <laughs> I don't know why it was what we were called Timber Creek High School. And uh, I mean, Chargers, fine, I guess. Our mascot was uh, a horse. And, um, you know, we, we borrowed the sort of lightning bolt design from the San Diego Chargers for our football team. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so uh, I mean, it was it was fine. I don't really have any complaints, but it is a little bit unusual for sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly interesting. Like I said, you're the first one to ever originate a high school on this show. So yeah, I was just going to ask what your high school experience was like, but you got into it. Uh, any any interesting stories? Uh, what were you like in high school? I guess I should ask. What click did you fit into? Were there no clicks at a new high school? Like, how was that? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely plenty of those. You know, I was like I said, I was involved in the in the sort of drama club, but because of that, I did get my fair share of bullying, but. For the most part, I, I felt like I was I was not necessarily uh, socially awkward to the point where I didn't get along with most people. Uh, I mean, I look back at my old photos and I wonder what the hell I was thinking. But um, <laughs> like I just found some the other day and I thought, God, I went with that hairstyle. Like, why was I so self-conscious about shaving? I have this little peach fuzz mustache. There are a couple pictures. <laughs> you know, it's a wonder I had friends. But I guess I was charismatic at the t- enough at the time that you know, by senior year, by junior, senior year, when we all started to get that sort of like, okay, we're ready to be done with high school feeling, those sorts of things stopped mattering as much. You know, so I was, I I was okay, kind of hanging with multiple different crowds. I had very few friends that I would have considered like my really good, like best friends. I've always been one of those people, but I'm I'm pretty good uh, in terms of uh, integrating with multiple groups of people, especially at the end of high school. Beginning of high school was a little bit rocky. It's an effective skill, maybe one that would have proved useful for this film. Uh, so on yeah. <laughs> on Third Time's a Charm, Mike refers to you as his horror consultant. Uh, obviously, it's, it's a genre you like. Um, was that the case in high school, or is that something you grew into later in life? No, actually, I've addressed this a couple times on uh, Third Time's a Charm. Uh, horror was never really my thing in uh, high school. It wasn't really until I went to college and I started studying film seriously that horror became sort of a, a viable genre for me. You know, I like, I don't know what it was that made me want to seek them out, but I remember in high school, like, like horror movies would come out. I remember seeing the, the trailer for Saw for the first time and I was like, hey, pff, no, I'm never seeing that movie. <laughs> And I don't know what it was, really. I mean, I can trace my, my love of horror back to childhood because uh, as a kid, we had VHS tapes of like Frankenstein, like the 1931 Frankenstein, The Mummy, you know, so I grew up uh, watching that Ghostbusters, you know, I, got, I grew up watching sort of either very old horror or sort of horror, you know, horror-esque type stuff because there's certainly se- sequences in Ghostbusters that for a child are pretty scary. I mean, there's one scene in particular that still unnerves me a bit. But I didn't really take horror seriously until college when I was studying film. And so I, I don't remember which film it was. Um, it was probably Evil Dead. That's the that's the movie that sticks in my mind as, as the one that really got me into horror. But I mean, around the same time I was watching that, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then I started to realize the artistry that went behind horror films and the ingenuity that went into horror films. You know, with a lot of these movies being low budget, they had sort of compensate by shooting them creatively and making them look really cool. So I started to really fall in love with that. 
And then horror films became just another genre to me. And then it became, you know, this genre that I fell back on most often. So, you know, I still watch all kinds of stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, I would say horror is where I find the most pleasure. Gotcha, gotcha. Makes sense. Um, So my follow-up question with that is, we know this genre, this teen film genre, has a ton of horror films. What are some of your favorites, favorite high school horror films, I guess? Favorite high school horror films? Well, Carrie's definitely up there. I think that's sort of the quintessential high school horror film. Um, I'm a pretty big Stephen King fan as well. So, yeah, definitely Carrie. There's a lot of schlock in there, too. <laughs> I would say that Sleepaway Camp qualifies somewhat. I don't think they ever specify that those kids are explicitly high school. They're definitely middle school, high school, uh, if you can count the, uh, the counselors in there. So I love Sleepaway Camp, but I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, for sure, course, uh, yeah. is one of the most um, inventive horror films. You know, we talk about slashers. I always think that you know, the big three, right, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween, I think that that original Nightmare on Elm Street might be the single best of those like first films. I think Wes Craven did something incredibly ingenious with that movie in terms of the concept and the, the villain. Nightmare on Elm Street, for sure. I'm struggling to think of more now. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to cover a lot of those that you mentioned here, and we have covered some as well. But today's film, I don't know, do you count today's film as horror or what genre would you put it in? It gets lumped in with with horror because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a genre film, you know, and, and it's like a cult film. So a lot of cult movies end up getting lumped in with horror because there's really nowhere else to put them. It's, it's pretty grisly in terms of the violence. I don't know that that necessarily means it's a horror film. I'd probably stick it more in science fiction because it's set in uh, an alternate future. And it's dystopian, which I think inherently makes it sci-fi. So, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of stick it more in the sci-fi realm more than horror. But, I mean, it satisfies that horror uh, violence kind of itch, for sure. That's for sure. And, and I want to be clear. Is it Battle Royale or Battle Royal? Like, <laughs> I'm a wrestling guy. I don't know if it's Battle Royale sure. or Royal Rumble, you know? <laughs> I think the, um, the E on the end would indicate to me that it's pronounced Battle Royale. Does, uh, I can't remember. I mean, I'm a wrestling fan as well, as you know. Uh, I don't remember if the WWE's Battle Royal has the E on the end. Yeah, I'm not sure either. So <laughs> I've never paid attention. <laughs> so it's Battle Royale here. So this is the first time I've seen this film. Uh, it's been recommended to me a lot for years. But once I started this podcast, if I hadn't seen a film, I told myself I wasn't going to watch it till. I covered it and, you know, was happy to watch it today. What was the first time you saw Battle Royale? I saw this um, probably probably around 2012. I have the, the Director's Cut Blu-ray, which was released right around the time The Hunger Games came out. Mm. Like for a lot of years, I don't, you, may, you may not know this, uh, for a lot of years, Battle Royale was one of those cult films from Japan that just never saw a, like a U.S. release of any kind. Wow! So there were there were a lot of fans of it here, but they were all people who you know found bootlegs or there was no legitimate official copy of it here. So at some point, I think Anchor Bay purchased the rights to that and released a version on DVD and Blu-ray, and uh, really sort of piggybacked on the on the upcoming Hunger Games film. And so I picked up the Blu-ray around that time. And uh, so I would say probably around 2012. And, and I haven't actually rewatched it until this week. Oh, so wow. it was nice cool. to revisit it. Yeah, it was nice to revisit it. Love when that happens because, you know, 
seeing something with different eyes. And you mentioned Hunger Games. Uh, I covered Hunger Games on my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman, with our Philip Seymour Hoffman show. So we did a nice little deep dive into that. But again, I'd never seen this, and I almost regret that because <laughs> it would have given me a little bit different of a perspective. But every week I um, read the back of a DVD that I can find a copy of on the internet. So here's one that I found. At the dawn of the new millennium, Japan is in a state of near collapse. Unemployment is at an all-time high, and violence among the nation's youth is spiraling out of control. With schoolchildren boycotting their lessons and physically abusing their teachers, a beleaguered and near-defeated government decides to introduce a radical new measure, the Battle Royale Act. Overseen by former teacher Katano and requiring that a randomly chosen school class be taken to a deserted island and forced to fight each other to the death. The act dictates that only one pupil be allowed to survive the punishment. He or she will return, not as the victor, but as ultimate proof of the lengths to which the government are prepared to go to curb the tide of juvenile disobedience. And right there, I could see so many connections to, obviously, something later about the Hunger Games, but also... This is a this is like kind of a story as old as time, right? Like, you know, you have right. most dangerous game elements or just I think probably since ancient times people have asked each other like what would happen if we were on a desert island and we all just had to kill each other to survive. So, yeah, this movie is pretty cool. I was so glad I got to see it and I'm eager to hear your thoughts as well. So, um I guess my other question to you is like are you a fan or are you someone who's familiar with this kind of Japanese cinema? So I, I am a little bit, not as much as I would like to be. I realized in my preparation for this that, you know, I, I, as much as I enjoy Japanese films and, and Asian films uh, in general, I'm not as well versed in them as, you know, I think I am sometimes, you know, I, I, I was I was struggling to think of what else I could, you know, talk about. And, um, you know, there's there's definitely some other films that I love. Like uh, Takashi Miike is a great filmmaker. I've seen a few of his films. I watched a lot of Akira Kurosawa, you know, post college. You know, but I mean, there's not much more than that, and and I and I'm sad about that. You know, so I, I really have been meaning to seek out some more Japanese and, and other Asian cinemas. But yeah, this is not my first and only experience with sort of that sort of weird, you know, violent kind of fucked up Japanese thing. So I do have that going for me. But yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I have a bunch of this director's other work uh, in my library that I managed to acquire, and I just haven't gotten to them yet. He, he made a bunch of Yakuza films, you know, sort of like real gritty organized crime, like a series of films. I know there's like a five film series that he made, and I have a, a couple other things, you know. So, but this is the only one of his that I'm, you know, intimately familiar with. Yeah, his name's uh, Kinji Fukasaku, I, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I have almost zero knowledge of Japanese cinema, but it is something that a lot of people have told me, like, you got to watch this or you got to watch that. And I, I was happy, again, to dip my toe into it here because it did pique my interest and it did make me more curious because I noticed a lot of things that were great and I noticed a lot of things that were different 
like a different techniques that were used here. And I don't know if it's just unique to this director or unique to Japanese cinema in general, but you know, we'll do our best to try to break some of it down, but you're definitely going to have to uh, be a little bit of my guide when it comes to these things, because I wish I got everyone's name. <laughs> I didn't. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. That's a little bit tough for me as well. Okay, you know, okay, it's just a cultural, t- it's a, it's a cultural <laughs> separation, you know, that I, I, I do my best to um, work on, but yeah, it is it is tough. Sometimes the, the best way for me to remember was by their weapon and such, you know. Sure, and I, and I wrote down names of characters like that I really was interested in, you know. So yeah, I did prep myself there so I wouldn't forget who was who. <laughs> and this was based on a novel, a 1999 novel by Koshun Takami, but you know it, it's from 2000, so it made almost almost right away quick turnaround on that one before we got on we were kind of talking on twitter because i wasn't sure if this is technically a middle school movie or a high school movie some places say like firmly that it's middle school some people say it's firmly high school i think a lot of that comes from the book rather than the film but if you watch this movie you, you no one is watching it and saying oh these are middle schoolers they definitely look like high schoolers and they definitely have relationships that i would associate more with high schoolers so yes Yes. So we'll keep it in that range for any of you questioning us out there. <laughs> hey, I mean, this is, you know, and I said to you, I think on Twitter, like in a lot of ways, you know, you take out the sort of dystopian world and the, uh, you know, everyone killing each other, you know, it, it, in a lot of ways, it has a lot of those hallmarks of typical high school movie. So yeah, I, I, I don't think you're going to get in any trouble here. <laughs> yeah, but you're so right in terms of like clicks and relationships and just structure and rebellion against order. It has a lot of elements that you would just see in even a high school comedy, honestly. Like there, there are some through lines that you maybe someone who doesn't know the film and, and hears what it's about might not think translate, but they definitely, definitely do. You know, you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, and I think it was smart to, to play it a little broad like that, you know, just because the, the premise of it is so absurd. It's absurd on paper, but when you see it play out, you know, it maybe it doesn't feel so absurd. But I think that uh, inherently the idea uh, lends itself well to sort of that melodramatic high school drama kind of stuff. And, and so I like that, that the film allows that, that part of it to play out as it would, you know, but except now we have kids, you know, with guns and, you know, pot uh, lids and, and whatnot. <laughs> it, it plays almost like a comedy, but with, uh, you know, extreme violence, which is, in my experience, pretty typical of Japanese filmmaking. Mm, gotcha. And I just want to note that this is the second film we've covered that takes place in Japan, but the first Japanese film, the first film we covered that takes place in Japan, of course, is The Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Very different movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, cu- a couple things I wanted to note as well. In that opening text thing or whatever, when it's mentioning like what's going on in the world at, at the turn of the millennium, some parts were like interesting and, to me, very... Japanese like there's a panic about 15% unemployment today we're currently somewhere close because of coronavirus at 25% unemployment but Japan has kept their unemployment 
pretty low, all things considered. And it's just that culture is hardwired into these numbers and, and that kind of panic. And if you know their history, you definitely understand why. And I, right. I, I saw it as something that's really cool, you know, that it's such a cultural hallmark and we're getting it from the beginning. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. <laughs> Normally I'll go through like the cast and such, but I, I think I would do more harm butchering, butchering these names. <laughs> I feel bad. So I'll put it this way. Was there any characters in terms of actors that you thought stood out in their acting performance? So, I mean, they're all kids. I mean, a lot of them are doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Uh, but fortunately, I think that, I mean, the the fact that they went in kind of a more melodramatic direction with a lot of this makes, makes it a little bit more forgiving for them being young actors. Mm-hmm. If they're not totally believable, like it kind of is okay. It, it works. I think that the kid playing uh, Nanahara, the, our, our main character, yeah, does a great job, all things considered. He's in the movie more than most other characters. He's got to play a lot of different emotions throughout the course of this film. So I think he, for being a kid and being this kind of the main actor of this movie, should get a lot of credit. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you know that, that main set of actors do a pretty good job of uh, communicating what, at least to me, was kind of, you know, could be difficult at times. Like, I didn't have to be necessarily reading the subtitles to know everything that was going on. So, you know, that's, to me, a hallmark of good acting. I really enjoyed the performances here for what they were, as you said. They're all young. They're kind of uh, small things here or there. But overall, like, like, it was, you know, it was believable who they were. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Definitely. So let's get into it. What scenes do you want to talk about here? Uh, you know, what do you want to talk about in this movie? Oh man, I don't want to constantly compare this movie to The Hunger Games, you know, but that's that's kind of the most direct reference point, and it's where I think I can find the most obvious contrast. I, I enjoyed The Hunger Games, right, for what it was. This movie is it, it like it's no frills, right, and that's kind of what mm-hmm. I like about it. I kind of like that it starts, it sort of throws you right into this situation. And it never really gives you a whole lot of character development outside of Nanahara and not a whole lot of motivation. Like it's all kind of cut and dry. So I like that the movie cuts through a lot of what would be a lot of bullshit in an American film to just get you right to the the heart of this movie. Right. The kids are in the, on this island pretty quickly. But I love that setup in the in the classroom when they all wake up after the bus trip and they all have the collars on and the teacher comes mm-hmm. back in to kind of tell them what's up. And then he puts on that video, <laughs> which is the most bizarre, over the top, nonsensical thing I've ever seen in my life. Like just the, the tonal shift with that video compared to what's happening in the classroom with it, the one girl getting a knife you know, chucked at her face. Another kid, his collar explodes. You know, so the, the 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 chaos is already starting, and we've got this over the top, bubbly sort of instructor on the video giving us the rules. So I love the contrast there. Absolutely, it was one of my favorite parts of the film. Like I could just watch that video all day. Just like the <laughs> the the positiveness of the woman in the video, but at the same time, directness, the colors of the like what she's wearing in the video contrasts to almost everything we see in the entire movie um, <laughs> yeah yeah it almost reminds me it almost reminds me of the um the propaganda films in starship troopers but like dialed to 11 oh yeah that's a that's a good comp i like that a lot <laughs> yeah like it's just the most absurdly 
over the top, like sort of happy or proud feeling in the midst of absolute mayhem. Absolutely. And uh, that's kind of where we get our rules too. The rules are a little different than Hunger Games. And I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is not being broadcast, right? I don't see it. Right. This is not even, this is not even for entertainment purposes. This is literally just, just raw punishment. Yeah. Which is like, (laughs) that's another level. But at the same, at the same time, uh, the movie opens with the survi- the, fi- the last survivor of a previous battle royale situation, and the press is there, and they're all excited to see who it is. I mean, I found that to be a little bit inconsistent, and that's probably some of the Hunger Games influence seeping in, that I'm like expecting there to be like a TV show or some sort yeah. of national show you know, t- where, where people are enjoying this, this event, and, and that's not the case at all. So it threw me a little bit, but I actually kind of prefer that it's not a national spectacle. It's just like what they do, which makes it so much more horrifying that it's not even for show. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thrown off a little bit, too, by that, because I just know, just like the United States, Japan's really into like reality TV. So I was thinking like maybe the society would enjoy this. But it is a little bit more frightening when it's on a smaller scale. And the fact that they're like the teacher they scorned is pulling all the strings. I know like the government and the army, they're doing stuff as well, but it's someone who knows them. Who's like the puppet master a little bit here. Yep. So yep. I, I did not know what to expect with this film in terms of characters. And when I saw that teacher, like kind of sadly walk out, like he'd given up, I figured we were just never going to see him again. And when you see him in that classroom, I'm like, Oh, this is what this movie is. <laughs> it was, it was so different to me. And, I'm not saying in high school I had nightmares like this to this level, Uh but kind of like a nightmare of like a a teacher maybe you scorned or a teacher that doesn't like you. Now the real persona comes out and now they're in charge of your life uh, in this kind of situation. And that's scary on a different level. You know, I'm almost starting to think that I should make this a teacher appreciation week like ritual. Just put this on. (laughs) Like maybe if we appreciated our teachers a little bit more. You know, just, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely from that perspective, it is very much a revenge film (laughs) for teachers. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what I was thinking, at least. And then again, once this game gets started, it's, I find it so fascinating that they let the kids really go off one by one. They all have a different weapon. And then there's these little rules that I love because when I watch the Hunger Games, or when I watch anything, just naturally, because, you know, you and I and probably people listen to this podcast watch a lot of films, you're always looking for holes in, you know, the little games they give us. And Mm -hmm, this was mm -hmm. pretty good at, like, plugging some of those holes, like, in terms of, like, I think they said something like, if you don't kill this amount of people in this amount of days... You, you know, you'll blow up with the neck thing, you know? If if things aren't happening, they have zones where you just blow up. They had these caveats that I'm like, okay, so you have to really perform. You can't really run and hide to, to an extent. Like, you could for a little bit, but the thing is only three days long, and it, and if if uh, there's no winners at the end, they just kill everyone. So you have a, <laughs> you have a choice here, but it's not much of a choice. And, and again, the, the motivation is crazy. Also, the fact that they weren't bullshitting when they said like some of you will have good weapons and some of you will have really bad weapons you know from the point of like you said like a trash can lid to an uzi like that's the distribution right. of weapons <laughs> yep and and it almost seems like strange i mean maybe maybe this is a criticism that like 
the, the characters who appear to be kind of the weaker characters, like our hero Nanahara gets gets a pot lid, right? But like then the sort of str- seemingly stronger characters, the more alpha characters, if you will, get guns or swords or act. You know what I mean? Like it would have been interesting, I think, if if like some dweeb had gotten something serious. I mean, there's there's the one at the beginning, right? He gets a crossbow and then he totally like mucks it up and and dies like right at the beginning of the whole game. But like for the most part, it seems like anybody who was kind of a dweeb in high school gets a shit weapon for this. <laughs> so it seemed a little bit convenient. I would have maybe varied that up a little bit just to give the the nerds a little more of a fighting chance. But I mean, it's it's a minor minor criticism. I don't I don't, I don't think it's that serious. I was actually wondering if maybe it wasn't as random and maybe they had done things um, on purpose. Again, I'm not sure what would their goal would be with that but but you were right it was something that that did stick out especially that the couple what was her weapon again i know he had the trash a pair of binoculars a pair of binoculars right (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but at the end of the day you're right it's not a huge thing because as we go along i'm not caring about it so much and the stronger people are taking other people's weapons anyway. So it probably would have balanced out one way or another, but it would have been a cool image if you saw, like you said, a dweeb with an Uzi and not know how to use it and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm really only nitpicking because I love this movie so much that I have to find something, you know, like (laughs) that's kind of where I am with it. (laughs) (laughs) And something that I thought was so real and something that was Japanese and kind of heartbreaking is how some people here just, decide to commit suicide right that it's when you know you see no hope and it's not again in their opinion um not worth going through the three days and having to kill your friend i think there's like even a pair of like a boyfriend girlfriend who do it together you don't really see that in the hunger games if i don't remember correctly that made me go like oh shit this is a real movie this is real shit yeah yeah for sure and i and i I can tell you for almost for sure that you know if this was (laughs) this was me in high school I ain't getting off this island alive. Like it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so like, there's a certain amount of empathy I have for those characters, you know, like this movie kind of begs you to ask, you know, which, which person would you be? Like, what would be your strategy or what would, what would be your thing? Like, what would you do? If I found myself in a situation like this, I don't know. Depends, I guess it depends on the weapon I get. I get, you know, if I get something terrible, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to get overpowered pretty easily. But, um, yeah, I, I love that not everybody is killed. Everyone kind of has their own way of dealing with the situation. Some people just take the easy way out. Some people, you know, fight for their lives. Some people, it seems they want to act like it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so accurate as well. Like, we're going to find a way off this island. You know, they're so confident. Even, like, the tech nerds. You know, like, this movie even has, like, the AV club, <laughs> which I think is one of the coolest things. And they're like, no, we're going to... We're going to find a way to beat this. So, um, yeah, I, I love the diversity of the characters here. I mean, I don't always I can't always tell everyone apart because, I mean, there's in theory, there's like 48 characters that or 48 kids that are on this island. So they can't give everybody a moment to shine. But I love the attempt they make here to di- sort of diversify that group into smaller groups and individual characters. Yeah. And to be fair, like you said, there's 40 people and. They kind of do that Hunger Games thing where they let everyone know who's dead and who's alive. And I don't necessarily need to know everyone, but I think a good percentage of them we see go, right? Almost all, yeah. Which is crazy. Or we see the aftermath. You know, yes. there's that couple who hanged themselves, you know, so then we get them in the count as well. But yeah, we I think we see 
either the act itself or the aftermath of almost every death. And I kind of want to talk about like cliques too, because again, that's a big part of high school. I love how we see some cliques stay together, some cliques, you know, form who didn't even know each other. Some cliques yep. attempt to stay together, but like each one of them, like there's that like kind of Mexican standoff that happens in the lighthouse with those girls. Yes. That's an interesting dynamic as well. I just, I love seeing the differences between, I guess, the friendships that existed before and the fact that they did not need to, as you said before, like kind of address who was friends with it to, not too much, right? They didn't need to address too much who was friends with who before the film because you would jump into a scene and you would kind of just get the group dynamic right away. And, and when you would see it all fall apart, it was like, oh my God, you know? Yeah, it's pretty impressive in how efficient they're able to establish a lot of these groups. And uh, like that, the group in the lighthouse, you know, we don't know these characters at all. I don't think we really see any of that group or most of that group until that scene but within a few minutes, we get to see who they are. We understand that dynamic. And then we get to watch it fall apart. And it is profoundly um, tense, you know. So I think that that's testament to the writing and the, and the direction that they could boil all of that down into a short scene like that. And, and the movie's littered with these scenes, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they do this over and over. And I think that's part of the brilliance of this movie is that you don't really get the depth of these individual characters, but you get just enough you know, to carry you to the next scene and and everything feels real. I, I don't really need more from these scenes. No, exactly. And it would really, not impossible, but it would take a long time for us to break down like all 40 kills <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and every single scene. And that's totally fine. I know you took a long break between watches, but this is a movie that I would be curious to watch again soon and, and see what I absorbed differently this time, this being my first watch because it's impossible impossible to to pick up everything um you know we do have a lot of main strings though particularly with that main set of characters and i want to bring up um let's see what is his name he's like the transfer student the which one oh sorry so he's like the transfer student who helps that's uh kawada kawada you're right yeah kawada um He's one of the people we like recognize right away, and his backstory is that he previously had won the game, but he had to kill his girlfriend to do it, and for some reason he's back here, kind of, I don't know, to seek revenge a little bit. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not hundred yeah. percent sure. That like, yeah, that's what I gleaned from it. But he's the expert here, and right away, you know, you see him killing people, but he he's not killing trash can lid and binoculars. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he gets that sort of what we might have heard in college was like that save the cat moment, right? Like he's he's not going to go after the characters he knows are too weak to to overtake him, at least not yet. So we can immediately kind of like him, even if we don't totally trust him. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. There is that element of not totally tr- trusting him. And that's why, look, I bit in hook, line and sinker in that later scene where he uh, says that like it was all a ruse and he's about to kill them. Yep. I was like, oh my God, what? I can't believe it. Because <laughs> it made sense, right? A guy that savvy could conceive something like that. And and uh, Shuya, I think the one guy's name, Shuya something. And then Noriko was the girl. I know that. The two of them, they're kind of naive. You know, they're kind of, they seem a little bit innocent at times. Obviously, their innocence mm-hmm. is being compromised in this film. So they would be ones to, to bite on that ruse. So uh, I love that kind of, 
double turned and ends up doing it. We could talk more about the ending later, but just wanted to bring up his character and how he's kind of introduced and it's something as simple as he has a different uniform. So, you know, something's up. And then of course there's that other dude who's with the Uzi guy who also has a different uniform. Yeah. Uh, Kiriyama. Yeah. Kiriyama. And he volunteered for it, right? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. So he volunteered and he's like prime example of a living anime character. If I've ever seen one, <laughs> like he just, he just has that look about him, but yeah, he's the sort of the psychopath and he's one of my favorite characters in this whole movie, to be honest. Like it just, I love kind of, I mean, not so much in the, in the development of his character because it's pretty simple. He's just a psycho who volunteered so he could kill a bunch of kids. Yep. But the element of chaos that he adds to this film is incredible. Like it's kind of, he's kind of what this movie needs to propel it forward. And I think he does it pretty well. The whole time I was thinking, like, I was afraid that he wasn't going to get a good death. You know, he needed to get a good death. I think he does have a, a cool death. Oh, he gets he gets sort of like a, a cool near death followed by a cool death, yes. you know? So he kind of almost gets it both ways, which I think is uh, awesome. That's the worst thing in a film that has a lot of killing when you, you build up this big bad and they don't have a cool enough death. So I mean, as sadistic <laughs> as that sounds, but you know what I mean. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I was waiting for it to happen to him. Such an interesting character here. And I love just like the things that little vignettes that are kind of happening of not knowing who to trust or not trust people forming alliances and betraying each other. Do you have any any other ones that really stuck out to you in terms of things that you gravitated to or things that you like moments that you really liked when it comes to this film? Uh, so like one of the other characters that I really liked that I wrote down, I wanted to make sure to mention was uh, Mitsuko, who is the uh, the girl who, to put it in very broad terms, is kind of like the high school like slut character. Oh yes, yes, um, yes, the sickle one, right? You know, like she's obviously way more complex than that, but that's you know, for the sake of simplicity, that's sort of her character. And I think that she is she plays it really well, where she knows what her strength is, and she uses that to uh, great effect for a lot of this film. And I and I really loved that they uh, she had a moment that sort of ex- expanded on her her backstory. You know, so that she wouldn't be just, you know, sort of that quote unquote high school slut character. You know, she's got a lot of tragedy in her backstory. But I love the way that the film uses that that high school archetype within the context of this film. You know, I thought I thought it was brilliant from the moment she you see her like putting makeup on the first morning to, you know, using sex to get through this game. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, it was so cool. I thought in some instances, like the use of like flashbacks was effective and it helped me in terms of like the makeup thing. Like you said, it helped me figure out who was who better. I think another filmmaker and I would have been pretty lost when it comes to uh, identifying the characters, but she was someone, as soon as she came on screen, I was able to like, like, oh, this is that girl. This is the girl with the makeup at the beginning. And she had a really, you're right, she had a really cool storyline. How did she die again? I believe she gets killed by um, Kiriyama. She gets oozied to death. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But not before holding her own against him pretty impressively. Yeah, she's definitely one of our heroes, or she ends up being one of our heroes, which... uh, it's just one of these movies that you could like pick. I don't want to say choose your own adventure, but kind of right. Like if the movie decided to focus on some other characters, it could have been a cool story as well. It ended up focusing on the characters that survive. And I totally get that, but we could have pivoted 
to like another scenario where different characters survived and it would have been almost as rewarding if not as rewarding if that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. totally i don't know if you picked up on this as well i mean this is just sort of a sidebar but um do you remember the the girl who was the um she's wears like the yellow tracksuit and she's sort of the the virgin that all the guys want to like sleep with yeah yeah i had i had some questions about her but so continue that actor i believe uh was gogo yubari in kill bill oh like i know that that quentin tarantino like loves this movie and uh because of that you know he he put her in his own movie but i just thought thought that was a fun um easter egg because i don't think i had picked up on that the first time through but rewatching, i was like why do i know her she looks so familiar and i looked it up yeah that's that's uh the same person who played gogo yeah you're right i did not realize that and even again like uh, i know it comes from other stuff too but like the yellow tracksuit and stuff like i'm not surprised that tarantino <laughs> likes this film there are certain uh tarantino elements in here and i think he likes this filmmaker in general as well i think you're right yeah but that that is so cool that's a good connection shame on me i didn't really look up a lot of the actors because i figured that they weren't in too many um american American thing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's fair, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, no, that was an interesting character. It was a, it was super cool. Um, the dynamic she had with that guy, like the image of her in the yellow, was again such a contrast to what we were seeing that like, visually it was really cool as well. Yeah, totally. So when we talk about the ending, um, well, okay, I'll ask you this question, like. To you, was it a satisfying ending in terms of like the nerds with the bomb? Sorry, you know, not nerds. You know what I mean, like the tech guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the bomb, and I guess the you know the final assault and the ruse that you know I was alluding to, the fact that like it's they know that there's a, a voice thing and a, a tracking device as well, obviously in their collars, so they kind of flip that around and, and hack the island, but. It's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It turns out that what's his name had hacked the island previously, right? Like it wasn't just the AV kids, right? I think it's implied that whatever Kawada had done ahead of time had sort of given them the window they needed to exploit their the, like the sort of security system of this island. But it's never. I don't think it's ever really explicitly said. I think that's just you know kind of what we're meant to glean from that. Kind of wish the whole bomb thing had had worked out in their favor you know like we spent so much time kind of yeah with them and and kind of like oh what are they doing like and then we finally understand oh they're building a truck bomb you know and it doesn't doesn't go off the way they had planned but it does give kiriyama a pretty solid death scene but uh i'll be honest the 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 sort of ruse at the end with with, with kawada nanahara and um nariko you know, again, I hadn't watched this probably since 2012. I didn't exactly remember the end of this movie, so I fell for it again. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I fell for it again, and, um, you know, I thought it worked well. I mean, it, in hindsight, like, maybe it's it's sort of a, a cheap gag, but, you know, I fell for it, so I'm not going to hold that against this movie. But I think the, the more important thing is not necessarily that twist, but how things play out after that. You know, when they when they uh, encounter their old teacher again and that whole scene where he's, his daughter hates him and this whole sort of thing has failed. And, you know, he has nothing left to live for. It's the most depressing ending for human life I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> and then the kids leave 
and uh, you know Kawada gets a send off, which I wasn't necessarily prepared for. But I love that our remaining survivors, like it's it's not just a happy ending for them. They're on the run now. They're fugitives, you know. So it's like I was I was waiting for the the nihilistic ending, and that's it, right? I was prepared for a depressing ending. And when, when things kind of worked out the way I thought they would, I was like, oh, maybe not. And then, nope, nope, they're fugitives. They're on the run for the rest of their lives. There it is. Yeah, and it's almost, it's a positive ending, but not, you know? Like, they're not dead. It wasn't like, you know, when the boat arrives, they all get shot or something, or they're even betrayed on the boat. But it is like, you escape from there, but your life is never truly the same again. And you kind of have to weigh that, like, if one of them would have escaped... As Kawada had, um, and he's clearly not, you know, happy with what he did. So it's kind of a glimpse into like, hey, if you do make that choice, that might not be a good fate for you to live anyway. Right. So this might be the best fate, or it might not be. It might be, I mean, probably going to be hell to have to be fugitives the rest of your life on an island, mind you. You know, I know, you know, the Japanese islands are big, but it's probably going to be, especially with this supposed like you know regime that controls these battle royales it's probably going to be hard to if you ever want to escape the countries and they're so young they got a lot of life to live i guess you could hope for a regime change but whatever (laughs) we're getting (laughs) we're getting ahead of ourselves no but yeah you're absolutely right just want to go back quickly to the element with the teacher yeah it it, it was so depressing because well look we're not rooting for him we also kind of understand why he's gone on this vengeance thing. He's seen probably an institution that he really, really believes in completely fall apart in his lifetime. And it ends up, like you said, it just ends up being an absolute failure for him. The thing with the daughter was interesting. The fact that he thinks, uh, Nor- not, he sees Noriko as kind of like a daughter to right. him. I think earlier in the movie, she was like the only one who showed up to class. And you could, right. t- you could tell it meant a lot to him. And, you know, the whole standoff, you know, with her and just like how broken he is at that point. It's fascinating. It's interesting. And there's also that moment a little earlier, too, where in, in the woods he sees them and he kind of like, I don't want to say directly helps him out, but he also like he doesn't do anything. It's it's fascinating. He's a fascinating character for sure. And I like when we see like a teacher in these films have such a interesting story arc. But yeah, I mean, I liked the ending overall. I was fascinated by the ending it had me wanting more i think there's a sequel to this or am i wrong so yeah no there there is a sequel that was um i believe it was written by uh uh fukasaku and um it was never finished i think he shot one scene and then uh the production was finished by his son maybe oh yeah, yeah. i don't i haven't done, i haven't done a whole lot of research yeah i'm seeing it, it but now. that's my his he did die and then his son did finish it that's interesting yeah i've never seen it uh mostly because i just haven't had access to it i have heard by most accounts that it is not very good and i don't know if that's because you know it was sort of not finished when when the original uh filmmaker died or or, or what but I mean to see it, you know, like, I feel like I need to give it a shot. I just, but the reputation is generally that it's, it's not particularly good. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. No. Yeah. I was just curious with that. It did like, again, at least at the very least it wanted, it had me wanting to see some more Japanese cinema and especially you know, some high school stuff. So, okay. So there were some things that I wasn't too big of a fan of. Did your version have these like Requiem things at the end? 
Yes. Okay, so I didn't know. Like, I guess I'm just not used to Japanese cinema. I wasn't sure if like these were deleted scenes or these were like part of it. <laughs> I haven't seen the non-director's cut of this. I've only ever seen the director's cut, so I can't tell you if those were part of the original edit or if those were added for this version. But I I, I understand your your distaste for these particular moments because they have yeah they have um the friend I guess it was like the original boyfriend of uh you know like the basketball not the, not necessarily yes. like yeah. i didn't mind seeing the basketball scene at the beginning because it showed like what high school was like but just i'm talking about like the kid who was like take care of her take care of her it was it was a little much for me like i got it there were times where i felt like it didn't need that kind of stuff but i don't know maybe it's something that's more of a hallmark of japanese cinema because I, I don't know if you'd see this too much in an american film like afterwards like make sure you take care of her you know what i mean yeah i don't know that that's necessarily true at least in my experience with japanese films okay okay <laughs> it might just be that there's there's uh you know extra content for this movie that they wanted to tack on at the end and it either works or it doesn't for any given viewer i didn't see it as too problematic superfluous maybe you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, sure. It, I would use that word definitely. It's not something that yeah, ruined yeah. the film for me. Right, yeah. Once the, our main characters are off on the run, is there more to say? It's arguable. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, if it didn't exist, I don't think I would miss it. But at the same time, it's part of the film that I have. So, um, yeah, I don't have a, a strong opinion on it one way or the other. I, I would probably, superfluous is probably the way I would describe them. Yeah, no, good word, good word, good teacher word. <laughs> yeah so anything else you want to talk about when it comes to a battle royale if not we'll get into our uh every week questions and such uh not particularly i think generally i was impressed with how well thematically this still holds up i mean currently right now we have mass riots in uh a lot of metropolitan areas in this country and of course they're spurred on by you know a, a, a very specific event but I think that, that it's part of a trend of uh, of what some might see as unruly youth. But, um, you know, being being 32, my perspective is, is different from those. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I think that um, depending on your perspective, that this movie could still feel very relevant and not entirely out of the realm of possibility in an absurd sort of sense, of course. But, uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that I took away from this experience is that, like, it still feels... Like, it's not that far away. And that's the part of it that still is is terrifying and, um, you know, harrowing. I, I think more people should watch it. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a shame that this movie has never really gotten a theatrical release of any kind in the United States. It's gotten a couple, like, at repertory theaters, you know, and the, the, a few screenings here and there. But, like, if for, for all of its cult status, it's never gotten an actual release. So I, I would love to see more people get exposed to it, especially now that we live in a post-Hunger Games world where, you know, this idea is not totally foreign. Um, I think more people would be uh, would be into it. I agree. Yeah, I think that's my big takeaway, having not watched this for quite some time, just watching it again and, and, and seeing how, how relevant it still feels. It shouldn't just be like a uh, film snobs film, you know what I mean? No, and, and that's the thing, is that it's really not a film snob no. film. It's like, I, I don't want to use the word B-movie because that has negative connotations, but this is like a drive-in type thing, you know? So it's going to inherently have that cult audience. 
but I think that the the message underneath of all of the sort of mayhem is still very poignant. I don't know if if it's racial or what or anything, you know, I guess, you know, I'm not an expert enough to say that, but it is rare that films from Asia come here and they do uh, have success until lately, of course, you know, the last Oscars proved that like a subtitled film can be bankable. Yep. And of course, we've had throughout the years, like your Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons and stuff like that. But I think maybe today, something like this comes out today and maybe more and more people are aware of it and i and i hope i hope this does get some kind of release or some more recognition again it's a film i'd always heard of you know my quote-unquote like intelligent film friends had always recommended for me i know tarantino really liked it and on that alone it's it's a film that i think like you said a lot of people should watch and to be honest with you i read a lot of places oh this was controversial this was too bloody too violent look it's bloody it's violent but it was yeah. it wasn't as gratuitous as i thought it was going to be and i don't mind that i think that's like if if that's scaring someone from watching the film it shouldn't is my point yeah i always found it interesting that the movie begins with or at least my copy of it begins with this sort of notice that when the movie was released it came out with an r15 rating which i guess in japan is like a pg15 you know so in a way they were sort of alienating the very audience that was intended to see this movie, you know, like the young sort of middle school age, like young high school age kids. Uh, and it was really only, I guess, you know, older teenagers and, and adults who could see it. Mm. So I think that's interesting as well. Like there are arguments we made about banned films and, and films that have been censored or whatever, you know, it always makes the movie more desirable, you know? So I don't know how much of it was, cause I, I don't think it was as, as banned as its reputation suggests. I think, Part of that could be due to that sort of idea that if, if we say that it was banned in all these different parts of the world or whatever, it makes it more popular, right? So I think that there's there's different theories on, on how true that really is. I haven't done enough research to really know for sure. But I mean, um, I think there were certain certainly attempts in certain parts of the world to keep this movie from being seen, which, you know, like I, maybe I... No, I don't even get it for 2000. This came out in 2000. What are we censoring things for? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know either, but again, I'm so glad you suggested it and we ended up watching it because it was a, you know, super cool film. Can't wait to rate it, but we'll get there. <laughs> first things first, and a lot of these are not applicable, but we'll try our best. Uh, first it award is the Wooderson Award. That's for a character who you would have liked to see more of. And I think that's, you know, I think we have potential answers for this one here. Is there any anyone in this film who you would have wanted a little bit more backstory or like just seen more of even on the island? Um, I would have liked to have seen a little more for uh, Noriko, maybe, because for most of the movie, in, aside from being kind of uh, the, the, the teacher's analog for his daughter on the island, she is really just the friend's girlfriend yeah, and you know and I, and, I, and I would have liked to have seen a little more for her but i don't i'm not totally surprised because i feel like in asian cinema female characters kind of get shafted in terms of that gotcha at least in my own experience i'm not surprised but i would have liked to have seen a little more for her because really all she has to play is you know my my boyfriend is dead now i'm kind of into his friend you know and like i don't necessarily think that 
that is all that could have been done with that character. I mean, that's a good call. I, I like that a lot. You're absolutely right. For, for, be, for being a lead character, especially, especially, you know, like Mitsuko in her character. I mean, she's kind of, she's kind of playing a one note character, but she does get a pretty tragic backstory, which is kind of more than Noriko gets. Yeah. I mean, that's totally fair. And, you know, Noriko even kind of disappears for a portion of the movie. Right. When, uh, you know, what's his name? I keep forgetting the names, but when he goes off into like the lighthouse stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good call there. Okay. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, interesting, but long duck dong award. That's for a character whose omission would make the film better. Was there anyone here? And if there's no answer, that's fine. Was there anyone here that you would have, uh, maybe deleted their storyline from the film? Um, I can't think of a specific character because a lot of the characters who had potential to be annoying were like sort of weak characters anyway and were killed off pretty quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think there's really anybody that hung on longer than they should have. So, nope. yeah, I don't I don't have I don't have a specific answer for that. The only nominee I had was that uh dead boyfriend at the ba- the basketball guy. That's the only one I had because I really didn't care. <laughs> I mean, he dies like in the first scene or the first uh, the first real part of the whole. Well, well, his ghost get... then. I'm banning his ghost from the film, but it's not that right. Big. Fair, oh, fair, fair enough. Fair it's enough. not that big of a deal. Now this one I don't think applies, and that's like uh, Cameron Fry Award. Was anyone too old to play a high schooler? And maybe if they were, did they pull it off? Was it, was there any age thing that was weird here? The only thing I'll say is that if this was intended to be, be a middle school film, I'll just go back to it. It's definitely not in terms of the actors. But uh, any final notes on that? Yeah, I just say I think a lot of characters or a lot of actors would would qualify if this if these were specifically middle schoolers. But because we don't really know, let's assume it's high school and. Um, I mean, the only person who might remotely qualify is Kawada. Yeah, that's uh, And maybe um, Kiriyama, you know, the transfer students, because we don't really know how old they are. But at the same time, they established that they're transfer st- or quote unquote transfer students. You know, Kawada has, has been there before. So if, if he were to be older than high school age, it's been explained within the story. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything. There's no nobody, uh, no egregious casting here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Okay, so on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have given this film an 87% fresh score. The audience, 89%. So definitely high scores for that metric. But, you know, we don't care about Rotten Tomatoes here. We grade on our high school report card uh, style. So A plus to F. So Dan Cologne, Battle Royale, what's your grade? I'm going to give it a solid a. Yeah, I mean, that was my grade as well. Solid A. You know, highly recommend. You know, one of the better films I've seen in this genre. Maybe not for everyone, but I think it's a film for more people than advertised, if you will. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's a perfect film, uh, but I, I think it does just about everything right. There's a little bit of nitpicking I could do, but yeah, I think I think it's a solid A, and for its flaws, I think they're negligible. You know, I think that this film is, is worth more than than that you know so um definite definite day great so okay maybe an interesting question but again maybe applicable on this island that they're on here but what battle royale sleeping bag or theme sleeping bag would you bring to this slumber party that we're having today okay yeah so i would probably want a sleeping bag that so have you seen that uh, a couple years ago think geek 
did like a um, a tauntaun sleeping bag. Oh yeah, like I did prank. see that. And then and then they then they then they really made them. And the inside of the of the sleeping bag was printed with like intestines and whatnot. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I would I would want a sleeping bag that when you open it up, the inside has a bunch of like resources printed on it. My weapon, oh. food, water, map. You know, like so that's my gear bag. And, you know, that's what I'm using to, to sleep in at night as well. That's really cool. I like that. I like that. Good call on that one. And maybe the zipper has, like, a little, like, uh, like that sort of hooked knife thing that um, uh, uh, Mitsuko has. You know, like, you just has a little tiny one on it so you can slice open your sleeping bag when you want to crawl on it. Oh, that's cool. Love it. <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, Dan, so you and I, we're walking into this blockbuster the the infinite blockbuster of time with uh, vhs and dvds of all movies ever created and we see that there is that sale the rent two movies get one free for our slumber party we've rented battle royale what two other movies should we rent for the ideal ideal slumber party okay well i'm not gonna say the hunger games because that's two on the nose (laughs) i mean some people some people might want to do that as a double feature that's fine. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to kind of keep it dystopian a little bit and kind of um, stick with the youth as well. Um, I think my first pick in addition to Battle Royale would be Logan's Run. Oh, cool, cool. I would go Logan's Run. And then for my second pick, I would go with Lord of the Flies. Perfect. That's a fun night. A little bit of a, you know, scary night. I don't know if I'm going to survive this slumber party, but... (laughs) I mean, that might be a very downer triple feature. I don't know if you're going to slip my throat uh... in the middle of the night, but we'll all take my chances. (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) well great i mean this was awesome loved talking about this film loved watching this film you know and it's something you know can't wait to have you on again to talk about some other films horror or not i i know you've expressed interest in some non-horror films guys he's not just the horror film consultant he likes oh no for sure i'm a i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of uh of, of like high school movies as well i mean i know you've covered a lot already so a lot of them Films that I would have normally uh, maybe picked have already been covered, but that's okay. Um, I, I, I love discovering more high school movies as well. So I'm really excited to, to come back and talk to you some more. Yeah, I mean, just consider the films you've seen that we've covered, a little bit of just knowledge you can bring and, and you know compare to maybe some new ones we cover. But we still have some classics to go, and I promise I'll, I'll put you on a classic or two as well. So, Dan, where can people follow you, find you, if that's what you want? If you just want to, you know, drift off and be a fugitive, that's okay, too? (laughs) Uh, So I'm on Twitter, uh, at Dan Cologne. Um, If anybody wants to find, you know, my personal uh, ramblings there. Uh, I do uh, some stuff with uh, the Cage Club pod uh, Twitter account as well. But, I mean, that's sort of behind-the-scenes work. But definitely follow that account. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I think I'll plug my Twitter. Oh, and my, my uh, Letterboxd, for anybody who is really interested in Letterboxd, uh, I'm also at Dan Cologne on that as well. Perfect, Dan. Like I said, this was a pleasure, and can't wait to have you on again. Thanks for having me, Brian. It was a, it was a pleasure to, uh, to, to be the one who exposed you to Battle Royale. I <laughs> love it. All right, thanks. Big high school slumber party thank you to Dan Cologne, first timer, but he obviously knows what he's talking about and we'll definitely have him on again for maybe a classic, perhaps. Definitely want to get him involved in the high school slumber party 
party, if you will. <laughs> oh, God, I don't really want to talk about this, but I saw Kanye West is running for president of the United States, and his party is going to be called the Birthday Party. So, guys, I'm just going to let you know right now, if I ever run for office, which I never will, I can assure you of that. And I know every politician says that, but I am not a politician. I enjoy being on the sidelines. Too much pressure, too much pressure on your image, too much uh, responsibility. I like crawling into that sleeping bag and tuckering away for the night and not having to worry about the fate of the country, even though I do. But my party would, of course, be the slumber party. But hey, it's an election year. We'll probably cover the film election at some point. More on the Slumber Party's platform in another episode. Thank you so much for listening to this one on Battle Royale. It was fun. This movie is great. If you listen to this whole episode and haven't seen it, I highly, highly suggest it. And it made me want to watch more Japanese cinema. I hope it does the same for you because clearly they have some good stuff out there. I feel like just especially in this genre, this high school genre. Yeah, we've covered a British film from time to time, but it's so America-centric. It's nice to see high school films from other countries, what filmmakers' interpretation of high school is. And yeah, I hope there's some more Japanese high school films in the future. If you guys have any suggestions, hit me up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know the drill. All right, Monday. It's a babysitting Monday. I know we had our fun today by the pool. But guess what, guys? Come on. Like I said, you gotta work. You gotta earn that keep. You gotta start paying for things. I'm not gonna pay for you forever. And our babysitting movie is a fun one. I guarantee you have never heard of it before. I kind of picked it out of obscurity because its trailer is sensational. And I'm gonna play it right now. It's from 1970-something, maybe 1970 or 71, who knows. The film is called Weekend with the Babysitter. She is youth, eternal inner beauty, her freshness, her freedom. She is every man's first love, but she is trouble. Hello, Mr. Carlton. Hello, Daddy. She is the babysitter. She came to sit with Baby and went away with Daddy. You and Mrs. Carlton don't really have much going, do you? No, we just kind of move around each other. We don't say much. We spend months together when all I can get is a grunt out of you because you've got your nose stuck in some script. Well, why in the hell shouldn't I work all the time? I can't talk to you anymore. You take so many pills, you're in a daze. It's like talking to a stump. How old are you, Candy? Does it matter? Weekend with the Babysitter. The first motion picture that bridges a generation gap between middle age and the age of Aquarius. We're going to tune you in onto what's happening. Now this here is called a joint. What happens when a middle-aged man reaches out to hold the illusion of youth? Weekend with the babysitter. An interlude in time when a man fell in love with the fantasy of youth. There's no escape from the reality of life. I'm calling Jim. 
Jim Carlton. And what games did Mommy play while Daddy was away? I want to use your boat. No way, Rich. In a world where drugs were the only gods, she couldn't say no. You want to kill us, too? She's right. I don't listen to junkies. I may be a junkie, Rich, but I'm no fool. Weekend with the Babysitter, a film that shows that communication is more than just words. A motion picture that hits home. Maybe your home. So I literally just held up the phone to record that one. I don't know why I couldn't rip it from the internet. It has some weird protections, which is very odd considering the obscurity of this film. But whatever, I wanted you to hear that trailer because, oh my god, it's glorious. This is one of those schlocky 70s films. So I asked Alexandra Schroeder to stop by because she did such a good job on Summer School Teachers last year. Find that in the archives on cageclub.me. That was a fun and hilarious episode that I figured she'd be good for this one as well. I think it took a little bit of convincing, but she agreed. And your babysitting assignment is to watch Weekend with the Babysitter and listen to our discussion of it on Monday, right here. Same Cage Club time, same Cage Club channel. Weekend with the Babysitter. Woo! That one is going to be interesting. So, hope you enjoyed the pool party. I'm about ready to hit the hay. If you want to come inside and curl into that sleeping bag, just like I'm going to be, it's allowed because this is High School Slumber Party. The podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic films. Anyway, I want you to remember one thing. One thing. And I honestly think it's applicable for the film Battle Royale. Just because the whole nature of survival and everything and not knowing if today is going to be your last day. But remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.